Welcome back to Gaming with Gage, your podcast for role-playing games and the periphery. Thanks for being here. And thank you, Pinnacle, for being so kind as to feature a Savage Guide to Dinosaurs in the weekly newsletter. I can't tell you how much that means. This week, we had Chris Hussey back for another topic episode. We chatted about campaign and session pacing, and in glorious irony, we went over time. Luckily for you, that means we have a two-part episode, which I don't think we've had since season one. If you like hearing from Chris, make sure to check out The Adventures of Young and Holt, his Deadlands Reloaded actual play podcast. As always, we ask that you rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And with all of that out of the way, let's jump into campaign and session pacing with Chris Hussey. Okay, I'm going to come in with something professional sounding. Are you ready? Uh, I am ready. Chris Hussey. That's my professional voice. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. Is it cr- I, I now I, I feel kind of intimidated now. I know it's uh it's it's intimidating. That's the whole point. It's a power play. Oh sure, sure. So so, yeah, so this way I don't take over your podcast and just start talking and asking you questions and things. You're the one dictating the terms of the podcast to me. Exactly. Though I have always thought that that would be interesting to have someone on and interview me. But I don't I don't know. Who would, who oh, would sign up so. for that job? <laughs> I, I, I think that you could find plenty of people to do, uh, to do that kind of thing. What, you never know. What if there was a whole show that was just a reverse interview show, and I just invited people on who people were interested in, and then when they actually tuned in to listen, it was them interviewing me, just week, <laughs> week after week. <laughs> well, you know, it, it depends on who you had on there, but they're bound to ask you all you know, or ask you different questions every time. So the, the, the library of questions that'll be coming at you will uh, be changing all the time. So it would keep things, you know, relatively fresh, I'm sure. Yeah, instead of gaming with Gage, it'll be getting to know Gage. <laughs> <laughs> coming to you Tuesdays at 7. Um, but Chris Hussey, I don't really think you need an introduction at this point, do you? You've been on the show... Twice. Twice, this is number yes. three. Which I think you're... This is, I think you're only... Oh, am I the record? Um, is this the... Uh, I think technically the I, th- I think you're up there. I'd have to double check because I had a friend Josh, a friend of mine, who did some topic episodes in the beginning. Okay, so I'd have to compare notes. You're definitely of the guests, the person who's been on the most. I uh, absolutely have no problem with the phrase that I need no introduction. That uh, that strokes my ego in wonderful ways right now. So I feel pretty good about that. It's so funny to me because I, you know, obviously I know you through Gamers Table, and I know you're like a smart guy. And that you've been in this realm for a while, but it wasn't until recently that some that I had someone be like, "Oh yeah, Chris Hussey, I really like his stuff, his BattleTech thing." And it was just like, oh, "I got to tell Chris that." Like that's just <laughs> that's kind of a cool <laughs> thing to happen out of the blue. That'll really yeah. that'll really make his day. You know, it's interesting, yeah, because I've had I've had that type of thing said to me a couple times about specifically BattleTech, and I th- I want to say actually the the credit goes to uh, Dan uh, Repriger, who said that. The the very and this was it's funny too because this that was actually the very first book I ever wrote. My, that was my first published gaming product, and he said that it changed the way in which he played BattleTech, which to me just kind of really blows my mind because I mean he of course has the reputation that he has in regards to that game, and so that's you know that's really kind of a a really nice thing to say, and but I always felt that with that game for some reason. When I would play with other players or discuss the game or whatever with other players, I always felt that um, my outlook on how to play the game was a little bit different. I think I, I always approached it more from 
the role playing aspect of it as opposed to the tactical war game. Like it was, it was a role playing game that happened to have giant robot combat or giant battle machine <laughs> combat in it, you know, not the other way around. And there's nothing wrong with the other way around. It's just, that's always like the way I looked at it. And as it's funny, it's funny because I'm planning to do a short run type of battle tech game online. And I'm using the their their abstract rules, the Alpha Strike rules, and with that, I'm actually essentially using a different role playing game system, not Savage Worlds this time, unfortunately. How dare you come on this show and talk about a system that's not Savage Worlds? For shame! I'm such a sinner with that in regards to that. However, there's there's a reason, um, and not to get too off tangent before we even actually even start the show, but the reason I actually chose the particular system I chose is because it is a bit more abstract than uh, Savage Worlds, but the game mechanic also essentially involves 2D6, which is the core mechanic in Battletech, so that the the translation from one type of play when you're in when you're in your mechs to when you're out of the mech uh, won't necessarily be that different. That makes sense. So, and I feel, and I feel bad for abandoning an Age of War or Mech Warrior Third Edition, but I, a, I'm too old to relearn the rules, and they are <laughs> and they are complex. And I think that for your modern audience, uh, especially ones that would watch streams or listen to podcasts, uh, if it was to be turned into you know a short run AP or something like that. I don't think that they really want to sit and try and soak up that level of crunch in that type of uh, of situation, and I and I don't think that I do either. In in regards to that, I'm just not. I, I, that's that's not me as much anymore as it used to be. So, oh, I'm completely on board. It's part of the reason I'm pro Savage Worlds is quick resolution, and yeah. that's how I feel about pretty much every system now. How how quickly do I resolve a die roll? <laughs> right, and, yeah, because it as the more I've gamed and the more I've listened to how other people gamed. It really comes um, down to, I know that instinctively I have to have a mechanic in there so that we're not just telling stories. But once that mechanic has been established, I want to get back into that narrative right away Mm -hmm. as to what's the result? How does this look? And I don't want to, I'm not necessarily into consulting lots of tables. The exception to that, though, and because there, there's always exception to those personal rules, is that when I play a game like Dungeon Crawl Classics, which purposely uses multiple tables for lots of things. But the thing is, for me, with that particular game, the way they do it and the way they make use of those tables makes it really enjoyable and also helps with that whole narrative uh, aspect of it. So you don't mind taking those couple extra steps that might be involved because it's just it's just fun that way. Yeah, I need to. I haven't played DCC. I'm trying to, I think I'm trying to branch out this year and not leave my baby, but do, <laughs> do some like one shots or short runs of some other systems. Like in the Discord, we're talking about doing an L5R game that uh, is like, you know, it's something I haven't played and I haven't really gotten to go deep with the narrative dice systems and stuff. And, you know, DCC yeah. is something I would love to try out sometime. We, me and my local group, before I moved, we played it a few times and it's just, I don't know, it just somehow it really captures a lot of that old school feel. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's just a neat game. The Funnel Adventures, um, I, I get it and I can take it, take it or leave it. As, as an aspect, but 
this the game as a whole and how it does the classes and how it does certain things that your character can do your abilities and all that is it's very though it has a nod to the old it feels very original as far as that goes so i yeah l5r intimidates me by the way that is a game that dude same (laughs) the only reason i'm doing it is because the person who is going to be running it is andrew the guy who we were just talking about uh, BattleTech-wise. Okay. And he is probably one of the nicest and sweetest people I've met. He's Canadian. Um, well, well, there you go. And Canadian by birth. Um, <laughs> but he's just, a, he's just a really nice guy, so I feel like if I'm ever going to jump in, I'm going to do that. And I think everyone else who's playing is either completely new or pretty new Nice to the system. So it's kind of like you don't have to be like, Next to the guy who's like, oh, my dragon crab unicorn will fly into the sun and then marry it. And then our daughter will be of lotus blossom. I have no idea what you're saying. (laughs) So I don't have to run into that problem. Nice. So funny enough, like we're here to talk about pacing and the pacing of this episode (laughs) is glorious, but flawed. Um, But yet, but yet we we actually, we were, we were leading that way when we were talking about um, mechanics and getting them over with and moving on to the narrative, which definitely affects pacing. And that's kind of, I wanted to talk about this, I guess. I don't know what you were thinking. You tell me what you were thinking. I'll tell you what I was thinking, or I'll, I'll go first. Um, yeah, you should go first. It's your show. You sh- absolutely should go first. See, that's the power move. It's working. <laughs> <laughs> I think about this in, in two, two ways. One is in an individual session and how you pace that and then how you actually pace out your campaign. When it comes to pacing out a campaign, for example, I I'm doing something a little different right now, but I generally use the uh, the you know, the scene sequel format. I like to have a really high action, really tense uh, adventure, and then after that wraps up, I like to have the unwind, decompress time, and then I bring it right back up with the tension next time, and then I bring it right down. Fits really well with the savage with the new Savage Worlds advancement. If you're playing a decent sized game, you do every other session now. So it's basically every other session you're advancing as well. So you get like new toys, new threats, new toys, new threats, and it works out really well. Interesting. So one scene is essentially, or one session. So, you know, one, one gaming day is it's all high action, high energy, high tension, all of that. And then the subsequent session is then more on the RP interlude side where you do all the fallout from what happened and then you ramp it all back up in the, the session after that? I mean, is that what you're talking about? Pretty, pretty much. So when I really solidified this was the first time I was running East Texas University and I realized I was giving clues for like uh, one of the published one sheets. And I was like, well, here's the beginning of this adventure. And then they were RPing, which was great. And I think at the time I felt like I was failing as a GM, but I think... I'll, I've said it before. I'll say it a hundred times. If you're tired of hearing about it, find another show. Um, <laughs> the better, the better you get at GMing, the more you know you're supposed to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I realized, oh, they want. It took me a while to realize they want to do this. So I, at the time, was like, oh, well, they don't. They're not interested in this. So as the session would go on, I would introduce another one sheet's plot hook, and then another one. And then finally, like, a plot point for the plot point campaign. And they were just RPing. So none of it was getting done. Like, they would do maybe the first step on these adventures, but they were just having fun RPing. And then the next session, we'd come to play, and they were like, oh, cool, we had all of this stuff going on. We should try and figure that out. And it was just boom, boom, explosions everywhere. Because they had, like, three different adventures going on at the same time. Wow. And I I was like, oh, wow. Um, And I don't quite do it that crazy anymore. But I realized that, like, oh, I can spend an RP 
like session where people decompress. First of all, that I feel they get rewarded. I feel as players, they get their characters get a break and an opportunity to enjoy. And secondly, as a GM, I can start sowing seeds. And because the session isn't combat heavy, they're not quite looking for every possible thing that's going to screw them, so to speak. Hmm. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, like, oh, well, we were having a fun RP session, so this one kooky guy that Gage introduced might have just been a character so that Gage could join in and play along. And it's like, well, yes, he's that. And in four sessions, he's going to be possessed by a demon. So it's going to be great. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I've kind of edged into that, and it's worked really well, especially with, like, published stuff. Like, I think when we were talking about this, the, the Degrees of Horror plot point campaign Mm -hmm. Uh, for ETU did a lot for me in terms of establishing pacing because it has basically per rank which for those of you who aren't familiar with Savage Worlds it would be like the approximation of about four or five levels of like Dungeons and Dragons right you have three major plot points and that's it and everything else is either B plot character driven monster of the week kind of stuff and what it does is allows everything to ramp up go down Players have agency to go where they want to go, do what they want to do, but this it feels like this thing is still marching on, and it kind of gives you a sense of something bigger in the world, and I have stolen that format. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you... Okay, so a couple questions. Then. Wait a minute, you're interviewing me. Yeah, you're so doing I, the I, thing. <laughs> I, I am. Well, you're presenting something very interesting, because in any of my games I've, I've run, I've never done that. In all the years I've GM'd, I've never, I've never done any sort of like actual planned session like it's going to be flip-flop this back and forth i mean sometimes yes because of circumstances that may have happened in the previous session i know the next session is going to be all combat or this session was all combat and everybody is hurting so i know the next session is probably going to be some sort of fallout for me it's always just kind of been this this slow burn even wave kind of thing that flows and flows and flows. And yep, sometimes there's peaks and valleys depending upon what is what is happening. But I've never taken the purposeful approach that you described. So I, I have a couple of questions though mm-hmm. about this. So how do you and none of this is should be taken in a negative way, by the way, because it's just because there's nothing wrong with this. We you and I are both fans of a show that does this exact thing I'm about to ask. And none of us cares that it is that way because we all enjoy it. But how do you avoid the whole like monster of the week sort of syndrome that could potentially fall into? And then my second question, which is somewhat related, are your players even aware that you're doing it this way? I mean, are they in on that, you know, quote unquote GM secret or does it just naturally flow for them? And then they just kind of respond to the things that you put out there. I think I'll answer the second question first. Uh, okay. I, I think they know now because afterwards, after that campaign was done, I've definitely talked about it and decompressed on it with them. Mm -hmm. And so they're probably a little more aware of it now. At the time, I think it's one of those things, a lot of times players can't tell you why the game was good. I think they, I ask for a lot of player feedback if I'm running a one shot or a campaign or whatever. I want the good. I want the bad though. I really want the ugly. They don't like to give it to you. No, they don't. I know. I try to squeeze out of my players and they just don't. I know I failed something. Tell me so I cannot do it again. But I think a lot of times when you hear their feedback, they'll be saying stuff like, you know, it was really interesting how nothing felt like it was suited for our level. Like we felt like we really walked into a world that we could just 
power levels are what power levels are going to be. And if we're going to die, we're going to die. And it's like, no, these guys were like any behind the GM screen. You're like, no, these guys were a weakened version of another monster because they are definitely out of your power level. <laughs> like they don't know because it's not about what's actually going on behind the screen. It's about the, the, you know, their experience. I've, I found like when we do feedback and stuff, people would be really into the RP scenes and then, you know, more combat oriented players would love those other sessions. So I think it struck a natural balance and I don't know if they could have put their finger on that, but I was definitely doing it intentionally. And then your first question was, Oh, monster of the week. Monster of the week. Yes. So first of all, I don't necessarily think monster of the week is bad. No, I don't either. I think if it's, I think if it's done correctly, I think it's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. So specifically, if you're running something published, this is a trick that's really good. If it, you're not running something published, I suggest that whatever notebook you're using to plan out all of uh, the campaign, a notebook or file or whatever, I go to the last page of my notebook and every time an NPC is introduced, I write down uh, like their name, a, a quick two-word description of who they are, and any groups that they're organized with. And because I play Savage Worlds, I put down whether or not they're a wild card. Hmm. And if you're doing something published, you can do something similar. So when I did Degrees of Horror, I went through the book and found and wrote down the names of all of the NPCs that were going to come up throughout all four years of them at school. And then when I had a Monster of the Week thing where I needed a random witness uh, for a supernatural sighting or somebody to catch the party and be like, what the heck are you guys doing here? I would use these names and introduce these characters ahead of time so that even this weird... Well, this thing was really disconnected, but Missy was here and Missy comes up with the bug guy and like, it's just, it all feels connected. And it's a really, really kind of simple, easy GM tool that kind of uh, mitigates some of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then also because you do have the bigger plot points that are coming, those very, very clearly feel connected. Like right now sure. in the game, I'm running an ETU game right now and the, the party is pretty aware that when stuff comes up involving this specific fraternity on campus, that that is part of the meta plot. I think they have figured that out at this point. So I guess to answer your question, I think it's mitigated by good GM prep. And if it's not mitigated, that's also not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Simple answer. No, no, no. And it's like, yeah, like we said, there's, there's really nothing wrong with that. And I think everybody, you know, certainly who kind of operates it, whether knowingly or unknowingly in that way, you know, enjoys it and gets something out of it. So when you're doing like session and campaign prepping, then in terms of pacing, are you going by like story arc? Like this is, this is a story arc. Are you going by plot point or you, cause you're not doing like something maybe as specific as the scene sequel thing, but what are you, what are you looking at? For me, it's, it's mostly about the, the story arc because so I have like the overall things that are going to happen in this particular portion of the, the overall campaign. And it may relate to the grand plot in this way, or it may be its own little subplot in this way, or its own self-contained story. And then there's certain things within that story or certain character, certain NPCs within that story that relate to you know some of the character background because obviously they've got to be invested in some way in this overall story and so i try and tie that into the the overall plot for me it's kind of it's almost like i will i i guess you could say it's somewhat in a traditional sense where i may throw out the initial pushes here's what's going on and here's where you are and here's kind of what's been happening and you're in this particular 
situation and or location. The best analogy I could come up with, it's it's like a boat going down the river and my players each have an oar and they're rowing at whatever pace that they want to row at. And so sometimes the boat will go in this direction, sometimes it will go in this direction and it's still moving down this river, but it's taking you know, what some might call an incredibly inefficient route, but yet everyone's <laughs> having a really good time rowing. Um, at least I hope, at least I hope they are. And then there, there will be the time where I may have to step in and say, okay, everybody, you know, and start shouting stroke and getting everybody on the same page. So we're, we start going down the river a little fast. And one of those things that for me, you have to kind of go by feel where sometimes it, I, it feels right. And sometimes I realize, man, we've just been kind of meandering for way too long here. You know, we need to get something back on track. You have to jump in at that point and and just kind of make things go. But go ahead. You're going to ask me a question. Oh, no, it's just so funny when you say that. It's just the different GM styles that I think you and I have, because <laughs> I think I'm a little more of a control freak than you. I, 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 you know, I used to be very controlling and to me it was, okay, so this is written down. I've got to do A, then I've got to do B, then I've got to do C. and you know, being the hyper and somewhat impatient person I am, it was, okay, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, okay, enough of that stupid RP crap, let's go. <laughs> and next, you know, next letter, next number, next bullet point. As I've, you know, friggin' relaxed and calmed down and learned to enjoy the moment that is happening at the table here, that's allowed me to realize, oh yeah, okay, so we have this start. The players are very good at exploring the space and kind of doing what they want. If they want to start to alter the direction of things, then I'm going to go ahead and follow that direction. Or if I absolutely don't want it to go that way, I'm going to do what I can to try and redirect. But most of the time, it's I, I'm happy to let the players drive um, or row, I guess, in this analogy, and then you know keep them away from you know grounding out on the banks uh, of the river. Again, for everyone at home. The better a GM you become, the more you will realize it is your job to keep your mouth shut. Yeah, <laughs> it's very just, true. When you start GMing, it's so not what you think. Like the, I, no one told me that when I started GMing. I think it's why I drive it home so much because it was a very aha moment for me mm -hmm. of realizing that my job was not to talk as much as I thought it was. Um, so that's why I drive it home so much. So I have one more question for you about this, and then I want to yes. go over to specifically session pacing. So okay. last question for that, though, is because you're kind of doing it more freeform and feeling at the table, what are the signs for you as a GM that you need to jump in and get everyone rowing in unison? Like what in terms of the way the story feels lets you know, OK, we're hitting a pacing issue and I want to speed up a little bit. I think for me, a lot of it has to do with I kind of look at it in a way uh, I'm going to use another analogy here. When you're having when you're having small talk with someone that you kind of know, um, or maybe that you met, or just met, and you have there's a natural, regardless of what's being said, um, or or even the value of what's being said, there's a natural flow to the conversation, and both participants or all the participants in the small talk, they really are more focused on keeping the ball in the air. They, they don't want that silence. They don't want that awkwardness because everybody knows that, okay, we all barely know each other. So let's just keep the ball in the air and keep talking so we can all avoid the awkward silence. Because as soon as we get the awkward silence, then we're all going to look for ways to get out of the conversation because now we've realized this conversation has run its course. Sometimes you don't have to really worry about that because 
somebody will hit the ball really high in the air and which means in other words everyone someone has keyed on something that everybody can contribute to and then the conversation just goes and you as the gm don't like you said don't really have to say anything because they can take it or if you're playing an npc you're just in on that conversation that role play just like everybody else's but then there are other times when you know it becomes almost an effort to really keep the ball in the air. And for me, when I see that happening with uh, a situation, a story, so if I'm not getting certain things from a player for whatever reason, either A, they're not enjoying the scene, they're just not grasping what's going on, or they're not enjoying themselves, then it's my job to jump in there and either end the scene, move on to another player if it's if it's certain, you know, lone wolf type activities within the group or just hand wave the rest of the conversation and move on with with the story. And so I that's kind of how I look at that. And that's also where I can like I mentioned earlier, sometimes get run into that trap of wow, we've just been like talking here for a while and though it's been interesting, we probably should like maybe go and just do something now else, you know. Because we could just sit here and RP forever, which is great, but you know, let's move the story along, shall we? And then you know, we go on from there. Because everyone's satisfied with what's been done, and they're continuing to be satisfied. But you kind of have feel that need that maybe we should go ahead and just kind of keep going. That's where that scene sequel format comes in hand. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Gaming with Gage. If you have ideas for upcoming guests, want to chat with the cast, or a chance to play in some of our games, you can find our Discord link in the show notes. You can also find the show at facebook.com slash gamingwithgage, and on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at GamingWGage. Your support makes this show a reality week after week. One of the best ways to help out is to leave five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We read all of them, and sometimes we even read them on the air. We look forward to hearing from each and every one of you, but until then, we'll see you next week.